I just want to tell the truth. And I think the only possible improvement in this industry is to get everybody more aware of it. These healthcare lobbyists send to Congress more than the sum of oil and natural gas, the military, and banking. All together. The body has everything it needs to heal itself. That is something I believe. Consciousness is always evolving, and our present perception becomes our conscious reality. Is life happening for you, or is it happening to you? A life of authenticity is a life of skillfully practicing your values. You are perfectly human, and even when we stumble, we still stumble forward. If you seek truth and move in love, then your family. I invite you to have a seat at our table. You are listening to an authentic outlier, the nocturnal therapist himself, Harry Turner. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the premiere episode of season two of the Is That So Show. I took a hiatus, had to develop some other products, but I never stopped moving. And so this is episode one of of season two of the Is That So Show. So welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm happy to be back. Ladies, gentlemen, non-binary, and everybody else, just mad love and respect. And so I'm excited for today on this premiere episode because I have a very special guest. And so I want you to know before I bring this guest on, which is Dr. Yoho, who's written a very straightforward book that is shaking up the medical industry and really providing a lot of information to a lot of us who have questions about the medical industry. But before I bring my guest on, I just want to let you know that this season two is that so show will be focused mainly on holistic methods of, of wellness, of treatment mind-body medicine, and how basically to promote an internal environment conducive to overall healing. And I know when we think about medicine, immediately we think about taking pills, but this isn't about popping pills. You know, I'm not saying stop taking your blood pressure medication if you need to take blood pressure medication, because I'm not giving y'all any advice anyway. And if you hear anything that sounds like advice, just consider it bad advice. I'm just talking out the side of my neck. But anyway, the point is that this is about how we can take holistic uh, steps, steps that we can practice, steps that, that have been shown time and time again over the ages to promote a conducive environment inside of us for healing. So I just want to welcome you to the Is That So Show Season 2. I told you I was coming back, and it's only going to get better and better. And so without further ado, I'm going to welcome in my guest, Dr. Robert Yo. Thank you, Harry. The first thing is, I'm out of the Foreign Legion now. You don't have to doctor me. Just call me Robert. Aha. Okay. 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 Robert. 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 Gotcha. I had to adjust gotcha. that camera for myself right quick. But welcome to the show. Welcome to the show, Robert. You know, thank you. Just, just thank you for taking the time to even be on the show. And so I'm, I'm humbled. I'm honored uh, that you're a guest. So tell me, Doc. Give us a little bit about your history. Of course, I looked you up online, I know, and this is the reason why I chose you to be on the show, the premiere episode of Is That So? So, But for the people that don't know you, tell a little bit about your story and how you came to this space. Well, I'm 67, and so I've had a career in medicine, and it's, I mean, I've got a 20-page resume, and I was formerly board certified in emergency medicine and then cosmetic surgery. And I, I did my first career in emergency medicine for a few years, and then I switched to cosmetic surgery and finished out in that, ran a surgical center practice and so on, did thousands of liposuctions, breast augmentations, and so on. And towards the end, maybe five years ago, I had two fatalities in my office within five months. And that was a shock. You know, cosmetic surgeons aren't supposed to have fatalities. But in fact, we do typically have one fatality during our career. One of these surgeries was not done by me, but it prompted self-examination. And I started reading to sort of cope with the, the psychological pain I was having. I started reading widely and began to discover what I eventually called medical corruption. Before we go into what you've discovered, let me ask you, you said that you, as a cosmetic surgeon, first of all, these events occurred and they were not typical of your, your industry, but also that you, that you experienced psychological pain after that occurred. Can you just give a little bit of voice to that? Can you say that a little bit for the people? 
Well, of course, if, you know, if you work in an emergency room, which I have done, and your patient dies, and you have to go out and say, tell uh, the family members that they've died, this is something you can cope with, because it sometimes happens. I mean, some people come in with a heart attack or a severe auto accident or something like that. And I had that experience. But in cosmetic surgery, it's supposed to be everything's supposed to be rainbows and unicorns. And it isn't always that way. We have a, a certain complication rate, they get infected. They, they get serious uh, problems like uh, blood clots in the lungs and stuff like that. So, and occasionally they go to the hospital and more rarely they die. And so, you know, and nobody expects that. Everybody thinks they're going to be the 99.9% that never have any problems. But as I said, every cosmetic surgeon during their career have at least one and sometimes several fatalities just due to the, some of these people are walking around with one foot on a banana peel and the other foot in the grave. And the story is about why they happen. There's always some medical explanation and mine are you know, they're complicated stories and I, I can't get into that here. You know, there's lawsuits and everything, but I'm five years past that now and I'm embarked on this new career. I'm a full-time writer. I'm writing 60 hours plus a week, plus doing my, you know, attempts at promotion uh, like these podcasts. So it, it's, I'm still obscure, Harry. I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a famous writer. It's, I'm selling 10 to 20 books a day sometimes, you know, so it's, uh, it's not profitable either. I mean, this is not a moneymaker. It never will be, but it's, it's a, a, a lesson. It's a uh, mission of passion. And once you understand all this stuff, you start to see how wrong everything is. You want to spread the word. And really the only power we have is education. I mean, we're standing against an industry that is literally almost 20% of the whole gross domestic product in the United States. So hold on, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Let's take a pause because the people got to process all this information that you're putting out there. All right. So we will take a few pauses here. And yes, the book. So you said that you sell between 10 to 20 books. All right. Which is 10 to 20 more than I'm selling right now. But you reminded me, I I just released a a new ebook for those of y'all who are interested. And it's it's on uh, shadow work or rather bringing light to the shadow within. Again, this is uh, really it's 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 101 going inside. It's what we do as psychotherapists, as a psychotherapist, as opposed to therapy, psychotherapy is about understanding what conclusions we drew about ourselves and painful events from childhood, understanding what beliefs were adopted, and then what beliefs are not serving us and helping people to remove that. And so shadow work, while I'm not providing therapy because I'm moving into the influencer space like Doc, I heard shadow work being tossed around a whole lot and a lot of the, the the kids in schools now are talking about it. And so I wanted to provide a little bit of guidance as to how what questions you need to ask to do that 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 inner work. But with that being said, Doc, talk a little bit just about the book. You said that it's not profitable, but you're doing it anyway. So clearly you're passionate. It's not so talk about the book a little bit. You know, when I entered this field, I thought I'd make a lot of money, but it's two steps forward and one step back in any kind of, and I'm in California. There's a tremendous amount of, uh, you know, litigation and everybody's complaining and, you know, being in a, a, a cosmetic surgery practice is a little like having uh, 500 girlfriends and some of them are mad at you and some of them are happy with you. And you know, you know what I mean? It's, it's a funny thing because it's all women. So I didn't make an awful lot of money, but I made enough with the social security and so on to not work. And I'm 67. So the average doctor retires at 65. So this is, it's a, it's a good thing for me. And the other thing, the thing I would suggest to you to sell those books is learn about Amazon ads. Now it tends to be you tend to spend just about as much money on the ads as as you sell and get the profit in the books, but you don't spend a lot more. And I have a a very good contractor and I'll share him with you afterwards. And if he agrees to work with you, he'll, he'll help you uh, put your keywords words up and so on. But that's, that's helpful. There are a lot of learning curves on this book sales thing. And I, I think I'm going to do this for six more months and then quit because it's, it's, it's a very frustrating process, but you know, I mean, I've got uh, 70, five-star reviews on Amazon for Butchered, and I'm I'm developing my review base on the other book. It probably has got 30 by now on the Hormone Secrets. So that's the first step is you got to get, you know, get critical people to read it and, and write reviews. And you can pay for editorial reviews too. I mean, there's a lot of ways you can burn a lot of money on this. And I, I haven't been willing to do that. So... So, but speak to, because that's relevant, that's, that's germane to, to us. So we're going to talk about that backstage, but 
Tell me why the passion? Where did the passion to come out and become an influencer? I mean, I'm pretty sure it's pretty comfortable to be a cosmetic surgeon. I mean, that's what people assume anyways. I mean, you had to let me know, you know, and let the people know. But what, why the passion now to tell people and reveal these this information about, about what you've observed? Harry, cosmetic, sur- cosmetic surgery is fun for a few, but it's it's, it's very difficult. And, you know, you've got to make a lot of people happy who aren't happy to begin with. And you end up treating depression. A lot of the cosmetic and plastic surgeons treat depression with surgery. Now, you may think that works, and sometimes it does, but it's not a good strategy. I mean, you're, you're better off replacing their hormones. And I, I started reading about the things that are falsehoods and started realizing that a lot of the narratives I adopted my whole professional career were total nonsense. Like, for example, that the psychi- the psychiatric medications work and they don't work. They are the, they, psychiatry is a strange specialty. It's the only specialty in medicine that has a substantial group of deniers that don't even think they should be in business. And the reason is that they they have done, they have, they're, they're deploying these very powerful and toxic drugs and they have no decent studies. They have not done placebo controlled trials on these drugs because the placebos are no good because 17% of the damn country is already on the drug. So they can't find a person to give a sugar pill to, right? So the only controls we have are the third world where they don't have enough money to buy these, you know, $5 a pill drugs or whatever they are. And in the third world, the outcomes are better for the different disease states than they are in the United States. In other words, these things wax and wane in in their natural history is to go up and to go down. You've got bipolar. You may be bad for a month, but then you get better. Well, the drugs render our patients chronic and the social security disability rates have risen in tandem or at the same time almost exactly as the increase in medications prescribing has occurred. And, and people think this is causal. They think it's a, a, a cause of the, the worsening chronicity of the, the diseases that we're prescribing these drugs. The industry has, you know, I can ramble on about this or you can ask a question, but the industry basically- Whoa, yeah, 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 whoa, whoa, before you continue, okay. let, me, no, no, let, me, let me ask some questions. Let me tell me with some questions because I know okay, you got okay. the information. Let me ask, so what do you say then to, you know, let's break it down because the, the people that's been watching this show, they're not going to have MDs, the lot of, well, maybe I might bring you now that you're on here, but for the most part, this, this is everyday folk, you know, out there trying to, you know, earn ends meet and ends meet to survive, you know? And so for those that say, well, I have a, a sibling and they were diagnosed with schizophrenia and they were hell until the psychiatrist prescribed this medicine. And so now they are manageable. They can talk. They, you know, like they, they they're not, they're not all the way where they could be as far as functioning. They still need some assistance, but at least we don't have to worry about them being a threat to themselves or anybody else anymore. What do you say to that family member? Well, you know, it's very difficult for that family member to project what it would be like if the person never got the drug and somebody locked him up for the first three months of his illness, he might be fine now. Now, I'm not saying that's that's uh, the true for everyone. And I'm I, I haven't said and I wouldn't say that these drugs have no place. But when we have 17% of the country on drugs, I mean, there's one set of drugs, you know, the SSRIs are like Prozac, right? Those are commonly used and the benzos are like Xanax or Valium. And those are commonly used. Well, those are damaging and I can get into that, but we've got another class of drugs called the atypical antipsychotics. And these drugs knock 10 to 20 years off people's lifespan. It's well known. And the psychiatrists pass these things out like jelly beans. I mean, they treat the symptoms of the other drugs. They get them on one of the uh, the Xanax or the, uh, um, you know, or the Prozac or class drugs. And they get, they have bad uh, uh, symptoms and they treat them with an atypical antipsychotic and it numbs them up. The military is, they, these military psychiatrists give handfuls of these drugs, these people, and they're generally treating side effects of the other drugs. So it's, it's difficult to sort this out. You're going to have to read as much as you possibly can. If you have a family member who is a healthcare provider or a nurse or somebody, they can help you, but they're, they're complicated problems. And um, the psychiatric diseases are not well worked out. The diagnostic and statistical manual DSM, that thing was 
practically written by big pharma to sell drugs. And the, the criteria in it are all designed to, to sell more medications. So it's, it's a very sick scene. And the psychiatrists get more money by Peter Gacha, who is a critic of this uh, field uh, and, and the rest of medicine it, from Sweden. He says that the psychiatrists get more money from industry than any other specialty field. And their, their field is probably the most expensive at over $200 billion a year. I mean, it's just crazy. So there, there's not an easy answer to your question, in other words, Harry. I mean, you, you've got to do your homework and get second opinions. Don't, don't necessarily listen to what you, you hear. And uh, you can start by reading Butchered by Healthcare. And, and there are 500 references in there, and there are four chapters on psychiatry, and it's a very dismal story. It's, it's probably the worst, most corrupt, in my view, specialty field in medicine based on the references I, I cite. And I, I've got 500 references in there as links. Mm-hmm. So clearly those, you talk about big pharma, you know, you're talking about the medical industry. Clearly these are powerful industries and some would say the the most powerful in, in existence. And so they can't be happy with, with, with one man who, who has a medical degree speaking this information, delivering these messages. And so have you had hardship since coming out? Like, how long have you been pushing this? Uh, how long have you been teaching people about this? And have you had any issues since coming out? <laughs> the answer is I expect to see problems, but not much has happened because it's very hard to get attention. There, There's four or 5,000 books published every day on Amazon. So you're, you're completely ignored. And the, the people who've read my book have been impressed with it. They've given me those uh, good reviews on Amazon. But uh, no, I haven't had, I mean, I got interviewed by a podcaster who tried to hassle me a week ago and I didn't, I don't think he came off as very credible. I mean, he's a 30 year old kid that, who didn't really understand what he was talking about. But aside from that, I haven't had any negative experiences yet. Now, the thing I remind myself when I think about problems like this are, you know, we're not freaking living in Hong Kong, right? In Hong Kong, they throw you in jail or they freaking cut your head off or whatever it is. This is America, and there's a lot of people who are trying to tell the truth. And I'm trying to, and I'm 67. If I get knocked off, what am I? What am I losing? A few years of productive life, you know. I'm healthy, but but what is there to do but make the best possible statement of yourself and to to be as contribute as much as you possibly can? So I don't have a agenda. I'm not going to make money, and uh, but I just want to tell the truth. And I think the only possible improvement in this industry is to get everybody more aware of it. This, this thing, you know, healthcare is approaching $4 trillion a year. The tax revenues for the U.S. government are less than that, $3.5 trillion. I mean, it's, it's more powerful. We, those, these healthcare lobbyists send to Congress more than the sum of oil and natural gas, the military, and banking. Altogether, they send more to Congress as lobbying dollars, which are essentially payoffs, you know. So they, they get whatever they want. I mean, they, they, they put through the falsehoods about whatever narrative they have. And uh, they've convinced us that many of these drugs work when they're just toxic and they cause problems. And as you probably know, the FDA, sorry, <laughs> I can, I can ramble. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let me jump on in here, doc. So let's digress for a second to the original, the, the earlier question, not the original, but the earlier question. And, and so if, Medication will shave, you know, according to you, I want to make sure that, you know, I'm just check, check my license, you know, I ain't, I ain't out there like that yet, doc. But if medication is not the way for the, the, the family member who had, a, you know, a sibling who's struggling, you know, uh, with schizophrenia, then what is the path? Like, what answer do you have for them? Well, the problem is, once you've taken the medicine, the medicines are intensely addictive. Now, they don't have a withdrawal that's similar to the opioids with shaking and diarrhea and horrible feelings, but they're intensely addictive. And they, to get off of any of this stuff, you require someone with a lot of motivation and, and smarts and ability to see through their problems. And they have to cut these pills. They have to go to a compounding pharmacist and cut the size of the pills gradually over many months and endure the essentially the, the problems they were designed to treat, which are worsened by the medication withdrawal, right? So anxiety or depression or whatever it has, they, they, they get worse. So I don't, have, I don't have a miracle solution, but it's, there's no question that these things are vastly overused and they're they're used on a swath of people that are not barking insane. 
like the, you know, like our common conception of the schizophrenia is. So let, let me jump in here. So for that, specifically for that family member now, if there is no solution other than what is currently being told, which is put him on the med, even though, you know, you say it's shortened his life, but whatever the side effects are, put him on his med, that's the only way to, to, to help him out. Like, what other option do they have if they don't have any other solutions? Well, some of the medicines are less toxic than others. This uh, atypical antipsychotics, like Zyprexa, you know, you probably heard of that one. Those have the most health effects of any of the things. Now, the, the, you, you probably have also heard of these older antipsychotics like Thorazine, right? Well, the problem with those darn drugs is they have these horrible side effects and they're essentially brain damaging and they give you the, have you ever seen anybody do that for hours on it? That's a certain kind of brain damage that occurs when you take those things. Well, the new antipsychotics, the atypical antipsychotics were sold to us by saying that they didn't produce all this stuff. They didn't produce jerks and so on, and they didn't produce all these nasty effects, but they do. The later studies that were not sponsored by the companies showed that they nearly have the same ultimate a chance of those things. So, you know, I'm not saying that you don't have to make hard decisions if you have severe mental illness. Uh, but what I am saying is you ha you should know the consequences and and it shouldn't be the first, if in a, in a perfect world, we wouldn't reach for the drugs first. We would, you know, incarcerate these people in padded cells or whatever. And of course, the whole thing is a spectrum. I mean, a lot of people that aren't sick at all, that just have depressions after a loved one died. And after three weeks, the criteria are stick them on an antidepressant. Well, they get addicted to that stuff. And after they've been on it a couple of years, you can't get off. I mean, it's not, it's not easy to get off. You, you know, it's, it, it, re so I think you were mentioning with the ticks, I think you were referring to tardive uh, dyskinesia, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Th is that what you're referring to? Yeah. Tardive dyskinesia. Tardive dyskinesia. Among okay. other, other exopramal, so, they're called exopramal effects. You know, there's a five of them or something, but, and they're all brain damage. <laughs> They're, they're long-term problems. You often, they'll never go away. After you take the drug, oh, you, you get off the drug I, and sometimes it gets worse. So I want to clarify real quick to, to, to the viewers out there, because this is going to stay out there. You know, like I'm all about, I'm all about people speaking from their passions and their truth, you know, and, and sometimes, because I often find myself speaking a truth that it takes a while. It takes some time for people to see you know, the truth could be right in front of their faces, but sometimes it takes a little while for the awareness, their awareness to catch on to what's going on. But I do believe that there is where awareness around the the toxicity around uh, these pharmaceutical medications. Now, I'm not saying I'm opposed to medication because I take medication, you know, like I, I, I it's a uh, low grade, but still in all, I take medication. So, I, but I do believe that that is a last resort and that the body has has everything it needs to heal itself. That is something I believe. But I also want to want to just clarify for those of y'all that, that are putting this conversation in context or trying to. Dr. Yo is here to to speak his message. Understand that there's a difference between the the the, the messenger of the message and the information and versus those that will assist you and in, in practical acting that out. Not to say that Dr. Yoho can't do that. It's just that we all have our mission. We all have our role. And I oftentimes have to go back and forth between giving the information or actually helping people implement the information in my therapy practice, which this is not. I, I give the information and I assist people in practicing that information because if you think about some of the most disciplined warriors like the samurai, or even if you just think about uh, the, the custom of staying with a sensei, when the person tried to learn a martial arts from a sensei, they would literally live with a sensei every single day. But I don't see my clients but one hour. And if they're consistent, I see them one hour weekly. And so I have to give them as much information and provide some accountability so that they begin to practice these skills because it's literally in that practicing space that they begin to develop an environment internally that's conducive to their healing and their expanded awareness. But absent practice, most certainly medication would be in, would be an option just because, uh, like I was also uh, correct. I was in the I was in a multi-level security prison in the capacity of a mental health clinician. And I was over the maximum lockdown area, and these these uh, offenders is what the official 
officially you call them not inmates, it's inappropriate to say inmate in that, you know, in the DOC. But these offenders, they, some of them were real, real, real hell. I mean, I'm talking about feces throwing. I got spat on before. He caught me good, too. Feces throwing, trying to fight stabs. I had, you know, clients that have been shot, stabbed. You know, I'm, I can't give really specifics or whatnot. But I've had, I've had, I've seen some things back there. And I also seen some of these same individuals that, take the medication afterwards. Now, some of, a lot of them are med-seeking now they're, because they, they come in with substance abuse issues, but they are given the medication and at least no one gets stabbed in the middle of the night, you know? So in, in, in a situation, I know that this is, that's not the general part. We're talking about prison now. So in the context of a correctional facility, would you, would you recommend removing all the meds out of correctional facilities as well? I've never... I never said anything like that. And of course, the rights of society and the rights of other people have to be taken into account when you're deciding about whether to give medications to an individual. And the way psychiatry is gone is they they give it one month injections and they last the stuff lasts for an entire month. And all they have to do is chase the guy down once a month and give this injection. And of course, they've marked that up. They've marked the old generic drugs up, put it in injection injection form, claiming a new patent and thousands of dollars in injection. So in a very similar question is what we do about the nursing home patients. Well, in Los Angeles, these people are frequently on 20 prescription medications apiece. And that is not a nursing home. That's a medication farm. And they're keeping them alive so they can continue the Medicare payments for their medications. I mean, it's it's an outrageous situation. There are people that have developed specialties in trying to decrease the number of medications that each person person takes. And antipsychotic use, atypical antipsychotic use is ubiquitous in nursing homes. I mean, it must be it's well over half. It's probably over 75%. It might be 90% of the, the people who are out of it get these drugs and it's just for staff convenience. So they don't cause trouble. They don't have to tie them down as much and so on. Maybe it's worth it and maybe it isn't, but it's, it's, it's a mess. And there are, there are people who opine that it would be better if these darn things were never invented. And then we'd know what it was like without them, but we don't know what it's like without them. We have to cope with what's going on now. So I understand the problems in the chronic care and, uh, and, and I don't want to make a statement that says that medicine is not a miracle. Medicine has many miracles. It's just the trouble is 50% of it doesn't work and it costs twice, literally twice as much as it should. It costs twice as much as it does in Canada, England, France, and Singapore gets by with a quarter of what we spend per person. And they have great, great medical care. They just have their doctors under control. So, and again, y'all are going to have to stay tuned for this season because I will so Doc has, he, he, you can't know everything, right? You can't, no one knows everything. And matter of fact, even those that know most, we don't know anything, you know, not to include myself in that, but even those that know the most don't know anything, you know, we barely scratch the surface, right? But Doc is, is given this information in a particular space of understanding the, you know, that they, that you need to be reviewing natural holistic options. And I do have plans to have someone on here who speaks directly to some of those treatments, those holistic treatments, several people, especially as it pertains to schizophrenia. I attended a training and I discovered in that training, I can't quote it now. So and I'm not giving advice on here. Just let y'all know another disclaimer. But if I misspeak, excuse me. But at the training, I, I recalled uh, the leader saying that schizophrenia has been shown to be successfully treated way more success rates in Eastern countries in holistic medicine as opposed to Western country. And they don't use the medication. You know, they, they use, again, it's holistic. They use holistic practices and people are actually recovering according to what was told to me in the training. And I do, I actually totally, even though I don't know facts, well, my opinion is not only is that totally possible, but also I believe that that most certainly is the case because it goes back to the original principle that you have everything that you need inside of you to heal yourself. Now, again, not advocating to get off your medicine. Don't say this doctor said this and this therapist said this over here and I'm gonna stop my meds today. No, if you know that you are crazy when you are off your medicine, Please make sure that you are with some licensed provider who can facilitate you titrating off. There are certain medications. If I stop medication right now and I don't titrate down, I will go into panic attacks. I know because I did it before and I went ahead. I thought I was having a heart attack 
and come to find it was a panic attack because I just stopped taking the medicine and started titrating myself off. Also, I've had people who uh, were chronically depressed in the moment that they stopped taking their medication a, a few days after, not the moment after, but not the moment, the exact moment, but a few days after, after they detoxed out their body, they noticed a, a exponential improvement in overall satisfaction, happiness, and they said that the cloudiness has left. So know that while while medication is not a one one size fit all, and really it's a I think it's a minority. Honestly, I believe that my personal and my professional is that medication should be used as a last resort emergency in an emergency situation. Outside of that, I believe that we have what we need inside of us to heal ourselves if we choose to practice and do what is necessary to do so. In this fast food country, we eat fast food. That's not even real food. We want fast food solutions as well. And so we are quick to go to medications and then depend and rely on, on medications. Oh, I'm anxious. Let me go to the doctor and get some anxiety medication. No. Anxiety is the bodily experience of fear. How about you sit still long enough and ask yourself, what am I afraid of? Because if you don't have the fear in you, then you don't have the anxiety in you. And if you don't have the anxiety anxiety in you, then you don't have to take some foreign artificial substance in order to moderate and self-regulate. You have the capabilities. You are given the capabilities of a human to regulate yourself internally. It takes practice. We got to do the work. The hardest thing in life is trying to moderate your emotions and react properly and change your life based on how you feel. I mean, that's that's cognitive behavioral therapy or cognitive therapy or whatever. That's what you're doing. So you're you're an advocate of uh, of, of trying to do it yourself. The thing I would say about the holistic medicine is I would quote Ben Goldacre, who wrote the book about uh, how the drug companies were faking their studies and doing all these statistical lies and all this stuff. He said that just because there are problems with aircraft design. That doesn't mean that magic carpets fly. <laughs> so, so anyway, a lot of times when holistic things are, are used, what you're seeing again is the natural history of the disease, which gets better and it gets worse. So you do something that entertains everybody for a while and the person freaking gets better. And, you know, once you've been, once you've taken these medicines for, you know, years to decades, you're pretty much stuck on them. I mean, it's very hard to quit because the, the withdrawals mimic the problem that you had to begin with. And if you had anxiety to begin with, you're you're going to cope for with anxiety for months to a year during the withdrawal process, depending on how much you take. So, yes. And again, it's it's in this in this world. I know that we get busy, you know, especially in American lifestyle. We a lot of us have fallen prey to the philosophy that you must work yourselves to death. And then rely on a retirement that you're too sick to stand on, that you'll probably pass away before you even get to reach retirement. Um, look, that's not the case for a lot of people, but for a lot of people, that is the case. And so because we don't know what tomorrow will bring, we have to choose today to to operate in the space of authenticity or to operate within our truth, because that's the only time we have any true experience of, of fulfillment in higher emotions. The mind is concerned with you merely existing. So it sees threats and it's always looking at its fears and what it's afraid of. But whatever you stare at, it becomes your reality. Perception is reality. The mind is designed to construct reality for us, but it does not have to construct it precisely because we were given in us or built the survival mechanism also of the seat that we needed back during the hunter and gathering days to deceive prey. But if we are able to do it to the other, then we're able to do it to ourselves as well. And so many of us have told ourselves lies that we've convinced as truth for convenient, for convenience. No, we, we must choose authenticity. It does take work. It does take effort. If you do just 25%, if you put 25% of the effort towards yourself that you do towards that person that's checking to see how many bathroom breaks you take, how often you come late to work and everything else. If you if you put just 25% of that intentionality into yourself that you would in appeasing and pleasing them, your life would radically change and you will begin to see the magic that occurs. And it's not magic. It's just the natural order of things, just like gravity, you know. But understand this, even tomorrow is a theory. We know we count on there being a tomorrow because there's always been a tomorrow. But who's to say that tomorrow will be? And for many of us, there will not be a tomorrow. So tomorrow will always remain a theory. 
So understand that. Don't bank on tomorrow as if it's certain. You can plan a pretty picnic, but you can't predict the weather. So we got to take a step back and understand where we are in life and what really means, what really brings value to life, what makes life colorful for us, and then move towards that space. Because just that, just moving into the space of authenticity, you're moving into your truth. And in your truth, you're able to heal, rejuvenate, and then to yourself more accurately. I just had to get my spiel real quick, Doc. Please, oh, that's what do you fine. think about I that? Understand. No, this is cognitive therapy, and it's it's a, a person-to-person, personal contact thing, which is probably better done not over Skype, but in you know where you can touch somebody. And so it it's been done for millennia, and it's not the whole merit narrative of the the drug the hell out of yourself uh, with the uh, uh, modern drugs that are that are cost a fortune and are reimbursed by insurance. It's crazy. Yeah, and, and let me say, now Doc said this is cognitive behavioral therapy. Let me say, I'm not doing any therapy on here again. He's just saying that there are mechanics that are recognizable and they use the same principles in cognitive behavioral therapy. But believe you me, this these same things, and I believe Doc alluded to it, these same things are you can be observed across the oldest, most ancient spiritual practices to ever exist. You know, when you talk about the uh, Buddhism and the Maya, and it talks about the illusion of the mind, a lot of, as a matter of fact, the fathers of, of psychology, you know, when we think about uh, Freud and Carl Jung, they studied the spiritual practice of deeply religious folk and then combined that with the science of, of therapy, psychotherapy, psychology, and what they knew about the mind to formulate hypotheses. And that's how they became frontiers of a new era of psychotherapy. So there is truth there. This is not about, and I'm not saying, I know this I'm saying spirituality and not a religion. I'm not trying to tell y'all go convert to something. I'm saying that they are spiritual truths that time and time again have been proven to be just as sure as gravity. You know, I know cognitive behavioral therapy is actually a thing, and I use it more as a generic descriptor. And I, I, and I think uh, pastors and counselors of all kinds use something like that. And the main thrust is to get the people aware enough so they can modify their own behavior by using their their thoughts and feelings and and being cognizant of how their their uh, their you know their their ideas and so on influence their behavior. So that's what that's what it sounds like you're doing, and that's bravo. You know, it's not a freaking medicine that addicts you and ruins your ability to function. Let me sidetrack for a second, Doc. You know what? I'm gonna keep this in the show too. Thank you for saying that. Thank you for saying that because you know the, y'all may not know, but the, the disclaimer that y'all see me toss out, it's because before I came to 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 this space, moving into the influencer space, I'm still a, a licensed professional, licensed clinical social worker. I function in the role of uh, the capacity of a psychotherapist, but. Before I came into this space, I sought like legal advice, you know, as to can I even do this, you know, and and the advice that was returned to me was and it was unofficial, you know, but the advice that was returned to me was no, because you're a licensed professional. Pretty much the advice I was given was because you're a licensed professional, you can't do anything like I'm a licensed professional. I can't do anything. And so I thought about that. I said, that's pretty inauthentic to who I am. And I'm not going to let anything contain me. You know, this is not, I'm not here to live according to other people's expectations. Now, while I do believe I'm not breaking any, any, uh, I'm not forming any ethic violations or whatever, according to my practice, still and all, understand that, that they are certain mechanisms in place to prevent certain, to prevent people from saying certain things, even if those certain things they actually truly believe in, you know, because these things, they say they require, you know, research and you got to do this and that. But the thing is that by the time research comes out with whatever conclusion they come out with, even if it's factual, oftentimes they're decades behind the mark. And so that means 30, 40 years are operating under this false premise until finally some researcher after eons and eons of of research and and surveys done comes along and says, Oh yes, this is true. So I don't have that long, Harry. You know, I think you're fine as long as you make a disclaimer. I resigned my medical license, so I don't have any conflicts of interest. So, in theory, I'm not supposed to give advice to patients individually, but I think writing about the situation is something I'm going to do, and I think it's totally reasonable. So, <laughs> the other thing I want to say, rebel. I love it. That, I love it. I love the, the fact that you're a rebel. Let me say that. That's the reason why I wanted you on a premiere. Because it's almost, even though you're an older white gentleman, it's almost like I'm looking at a mirror reflection of myself because I am also a rebel. 
I am also a rebel. And that's why and I know that the most dangerous thing that that corrupt institutions, the most dangerous thing to them are truth tellers. All the people that I admire are truth tellers, be it Gandhi, MLK, Nelson Mandela. And notice, and I noticed that with all of the people that I admire, their fates were not the most desirable ends. But that's because the truth is dangerous. And so I definitely wanted to give you a platform so you could speak that truth, you know. So please continue. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to we're, interrupt. Not, we're not living in Hong Kong. Right. So they can't take us and jail us for what we say. I mean, you know, you can get sued and hassled, but it's just, you know, it's legal fees. And, you know, then California is a good chance you're going to get money out of them if they slap sue you. In other words, they sue you over something that isn't true at all. So you can get double damages or something. But I want to address the science because a lot of laymen thinks that think the science means something. And you got to realize a couple of rules. First of all, those with the gold make the rules, right? That's the golden rule, the new golden rule. So these companies, which, I mean, their their gross revenues are in the tens of billions of dollars. They take they they uh, they ruin the studies that they use for to patent their drugs in order to get these phenomenal profits. And they they do things like they they conceal half the studies that, that showed that they didn't work, right? Like that was done with a human papillomavirus uh, vaccine. Half the studies were concealed. We're all using the, the vaccine, except Japan looked at it and they thought it was a joke. And they said, forget it. Only 1% of them use the vaccine. They have a public health system that's at least as good as ours, right? And so the other thing is large numbers and small differences, right? When you see something that's controversial, what you should realize is that it probably is absolutely untrue. If it's controversial, your conclusion should be, this is total bull****. You know, I hope I'm allowed to say that on this, this podcast. But the flu vaccine is something that absolutely doesn't work either. I mean, it works in a very small, thin numbers. You can go to CochraneReviews.com, which is the most respected source in medicine, and you can look at the flu vaccine meta-analyses, which are studies of many studies put together, and you see if you think it works. And we spend tens of billions of dollars on that stuff, and it's it's pure advertising and marketing. So, you know, I mean, the, the studies are, are ruined, and uh, Goldacre is the best single source. It's a 10-year-old book called Bad Pharma. That's the best single source on that. Everything I've written is derivative. I mean, I've got 500 references in there. I didn't make up any of it. The, the best single source on how ridiculous the psych drugs are is Robert Whitaker. He's written several books on, on the psych drugs, and he was the original one of the whistleblowers. It's not just the Scientologists who hate psychiatry. It's a bunch of rational thinkers who have looked at psychiatry and the psych drugs very carefully and realized that the industry money has been used to establish almost every standard in psychiatry. In other words, they, they've got these people on the panels that have half their income paid for by big medical industry, you know, big pharma. And those, I'm just going to make one last point, and then I'll let you interrupt me. Big pharma has more criminal settlements than any industry in history. You can go on Wikipedia and Google big pharma criminal settlements. It's billions of dollars a year. I mean, I, I, they never admit anything, and they pay off the federal regulators. So it's, it's, a, it's a very wild scene. It's, it's almost hard to fathom. And they, they, they're doing the same thing with the food industry. You mentioned the sugar. We now have an area the size of California devoted to corn cultivation, which is all sugar, you know. And for decades, they've said that fat was bad, sugar and carbohydrates were good. Well, the whole narrative has turned around now, and it seems like animal protein is probably the healthiest thing you can, you can take. And the, all this crazy carbohydrate stuff has caused the obesity epidemic. We don't know for sure, but it's, it's certainly a, a strong hypothesis. Well, most certainly. I, you know, I saw a few, and now again, I'm not a medical doctor, but I've seen several documentaries myself because I've been interested in that and just the, the people don't know that the, the, the amount of grams, and, and hopefully I recall this correctly, but I believe that under, according to the hunter and gathering makeup of humans, we were used to roughly 25 grams of sugar a day. Well, you have one Coca-Cola that's not even real sugar, and you all, you have double what you would normally consume a day in food now that's that's what your body is trying it's energy carbohydrates energy but this is supposed to be from the food that you intake and you haven't even eaten food yet you've already gone over your daily expenditure almost double with a substance that's not even real sugar high fructose corn syrup 
Yeah, I, I summarize the dietary information in Hormone Secrets, which is my second book there. It was a plug. Mm. I hope you don't mind a plug, a quick plug. Hormone Secrets. These plug it in better. Amazon. I'm going to see that a little better. Like, okay. can you show it one more time to the people? Hang on. Let me see if I can get it. There you go. Hormone Secrets. Ah. And that is a picture. You know, women and men are tremendously hormonally influenced. And I'll just quote one factoid from that book that'll get you interested in it. We use for Alzheimer's disease is one of the most expensive diseases we have, and it's one of the most terrible diseases we have, you know, based on long-term care costs, all right? So Alzheimer's disease is prevented in about 50 to 80% of the cases by giving estrogen to women at the, starting on the day of their menopause or change of life. Now, I know that's hard to believe. So what I did is I put 75 references in, in an appendix in Hormone Secrets, because I know no one would believe that, but it, it just, it's only one of the factoids that show how impressive hormone use as medication is in, in healthcare. I mean, we could get rid of a lot of other drugs. Why do you think it's so difficult? And this is definitely the main to the conversation, and maybe this will help, help, help some people that need this question asked. Why do you think it's so difficult for people to believe, even if presented with factual information? Well, we're facing a wall of propaganda, Harry. I mean, it's an amazing, amazing thing. Hormones, we have used hormones in therapy for 100 years, thyroid for 120 years. It's amazing. And we've used testosterone, even growth hormone. We have a 50-year history of using cadaver growth hormone. And they these things work very well. We have good studies about them, but they have been opposed by nefarious sources. Now, I, I the industry's fingerprints are all over this, but it's hard to trace down exactly what's happened. But you, you do know that the FDA is entirely in the pockets of big industry because since the early 2000s, the FDA has been paid by in industry sources through user fees, which are fees that they incur along the patent drug process. So the FDA has come to regard the industry as clients rather than entities to be regulated. You get it? So the FDA is in the pocket. So the FDA put these warnings on these hormones claiming they were, they caused heart disease and strokes and all this stuff. And they're just not true. I, we've got newer reviews of the material and they call it a pack of lies. They use studies that looked at this at the things through the wrong end of the telescope. In other words, they took they found people who already had heart disease who happened to be taking testosterone and studied them. That's not the way to do a study. You take a population and you you check on everybody and give half of them testosterone, the other half, you know, n nothing or something like that. That's called uh, double blinded things. So so the industry has used all these statistical tricks described by Goldacre to adulterate or kind of ruin their conclusions, either to help them prop up their drugs or to run down their competitors. I mean, it's an amazing scene. And I describe it all in Butchered by Healthcare. And sir, did you did you hold a copy of Butchered by Healthcare yet? Because you can plug that in too, if you have a copy with you. Okay. Well, thanks. Thanks for the plug. I want you to advertise. We need to help each other out with advertising. So this is available on Amazon and other platforms. And it's kind of a text of all the different problems we have. And, you know, everyone knows healthcare is a mess. I mean, you go in and see your doctor, you may not realize, but he has to spend or she has to spend 25 to 50%, closer to 50% of their time clicking in on a computer in order to get paid. In other words, that's electronic medical records. 50% of the doctor's time, they have to go home and screw around with that stuff for hours or they don't get a dime. I mean, it's just, it's the wildest scene you've ever seen. No wonder they're distracted. It, practicing medicine is consuming. I mean, you've got to pat everybody on the back, make them all feel happy, and then decide on their medical care. No, I mean, how can you possibly even read? I mean, you got to be a polymath to, to be any good at it. And there are people who are good at it. And I don't want to say that we don't have wonderful doctors because we do. And we have wonderful, we have health care that accomplishes miracles. But for example, in cancer therapy, 95% of these things, we only increase lifespan by less than two months. I mean, it's crazy. We have, we have about five or six diseases we can cure, you know, lymphoma, testicular cancer, some leukemias and so on. But 95%, and this is not academically controversial. I mean, Vignette Prasad publishes these papers on this, and he, he lays it out in cold, the cold hard facts. Oncology is a mess, and they have this biggest conflict of interest imaginable. 
they actually get paid well over half of what they what they get from retailing cancer chemotherapy drugs. Now, you may understand this, that if you were a doctor and I was a doctor and I gave you a drug or a device and I say, here, take 25% off the top whenever you sell one of these, that's called capping. It's against the law. We could easily go to jail. It's a federal federal imprisonment, right? But for the drug companies, there is an exception, and they use it avidly for the oncologists and for some other, other doctors who also give chemotherapy in their office, like Lupron shots. That costs $10,000. The doctor It takes two minutes, and the doctor gets $22,000 to give the shot. I mean, it's crazy. So there's so much I have there, but I, I, something just popped in my head, and that's because it, it's, it's a topic that's been coming up a lot lately. And, uh, you know, I know people, and so, I, you know, I want them to have this information. It's important. What is your take on gastro bypass surgery? Well, you know, that's, that, that's the big question is obesity, right? The, 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 uh, the underlying question is, is WTF is going on with our, our obesity. And if you go to Japan or Korea, you see these people, they're, they're in Korea, they're just as big as we are, just as tall. You can see their back muscles through their shirts. I mean, they look great. They don't have our problem. And so what, what the heck is the problem? And nobody knows for absolute sure. I wrote chapters about that in my hormone secrets book. And you can, you can read about what I think, but it does seem that it correlates with the decrease in fat consumption. It's absolutely the curves, which I compare in that book. It absolutely seems to be comparable. It, it seems to have occurred when the decrease in fat consumption, because of the, you know, the, the dietary recommendations kicked in, right. And we convinced everybody that it was the fat was the issue. The fat isn't the issue. It's the carbohydrate. And, you know, the Atkins diet really works. It's, it's, it's not that easy. It's, you know, eating only fat and eggs and so on, but that peels the weight off of you. You're not hungry. You, you, you know, and the other thing that, that helps, you know, is fentermine is fentermine is a lot safer than people give it credit for because they're trying to sell a whole crop of new drugs that have been developed in the last 10 years for diabetes, right? Fasting for the most part or intermittent fasting and the Atkins diet usually gets you off of the weight, your uh, uh, diabetes drugs. I mean, you think that's not true? Go look at Jason Fung's work, J-A-S-O-N-F-U-N-G. I mean, he's he's put it all together. He's a he's a he's an internist in Canada, and he's his platform is about intermittent fasting. And there's a whole variety. You can go on podcasts about that. It takes you a while to figure it out, but it works. So let me ask you this, because fentamine, so, and I'm familiar with fentamine, why, and what I'm familiar is that, I listen, not, not that I'm, I know of, that I'm aware of, your typical PCP does not prescribe a medication, weight loss medication like fentamine, you have to go to a weight loss clinic. Why aren't in practicing that? They know that weight loss is the issue, and that the, this, this fentamine, there's a medication out there with minimal side effects that could drastically assist in weight loss. Why isn't that being prescribed? Why would you be sent away to a weight loss clinic? Oh, okay. So now remember, fenfen was fentamine and another drug that begins with fen, which doesn't come to mind immediately, which has been discredited, right? So fentamine was tarred with the same brush somewhat. And stimulants, fentamine is a stimulant. It's like, it's like a mild amphetamine. So these things are not ideal for weight loss. What's ideal is somehow getting your nutritional composition in order. And that is the, the problem, not the amount. If you can eat, you, if you can eat, you know, the animal products and a protein diet and stay away from the, the carbohydrates. And, you know, as a side note, if you open your eyes when you walk in the supermarket the next time and realize there are tens of thousands of SKU numbers and each one has a different seductive packaging. And if you look on the sides of these things, they all contain these partially hydro, a lot of them contain vegetable oils. They're not, they're, they're, they're supposedly getting phased out in America now. So there, there are many elements or a diet, which has been, have been promoted by the federal government. And remember the food pyramids and all that stuff, that was all totally wrong. It's much healthier to eat animal products and people are losing weight, even if they 
eat at Wendy's every single meal and just get the darn patties and eat it meat style. I mean, it's crazy, but it takes some understanding to figure it out. And I'm not saying there's a simple solution. And once you've gained all this weight, of course, you're behind the the eight ball. But I think that we wouldn't gain weight had we not promoted these low fat diets. I mean, that's seen, it looks like it could be a coincidence, but I think that's the central problem. And it's sugar and low-fat diets, and the food promotion is outrageous. I mean, the, the ads they're allowed to run and so on is just, it's as crazy as the farm ads. And you know, there's only two countries in the world that are allowed to advertise uh, pharmaceutical products direct to consumers, right? I think it's New Zealand and the U.S. I mean, it's it's a sad deal. It, it should be. It's completely unethical. You don't know anything about those things. I mean, in theory, you need a doctor to figure it out. And they're advertised with these slick Madison Avenue ads. It's crazy. So phenamine mm. is not a bad drug, but it's not a wonderful drug. And it shouldn't, shouldn't be your sole source of your weight loss. So again, going back to the original point, because we're not giving any medication advice yet, of course, but going to the original point is that the holistic method, the natural method, the non-fast food method, you know, I mean, you know, many Americans wouldn't mind, you know, slapping, you know, slapping a band on or whatever and losing a few pounds. But again, we still have to acknowledge the fact that that is still a shortcut for many. Now, there are those that have certain medical conditions that, you know, it's it, it's pretty much impossible for them to lose weight. And so I don't have I'm not even a medical doctor. I'm not even I'm even commenting on that. But for the for the lot of us, we are depressed and 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 anxious which then leads to a comfort eating. And, and also when you experience trauma, your, your ability of, of interoception, the skill of interoception, which is the ability to recognize internal stimuli, that becomes numbed as well. And so now you're not even aware of how full you are while you're stressed eating. And so many of these issues, especially the, the, the weight obesity epidemic needs to be solved on two ends. Institutionally, yes, you've got to get money out of it. My faith says the love of money is the root of all evil, period. So anytime I try to ask why this is happening here, I start chasing the dollar and I get answers real quick. So we got to deal with the institutions, of course, and make them just and actually care about uh, prioritized people in life over the dollar bill. But also we got to take personal accountability. And I don't, in any message, in any platform I'm on, I want you to understand is what I'm talking about. Big Pharma, inviting a guest in, uh, talk about Big Pharma or whether I'm talking about racism. We all have to take personal accountability because Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi said, if you want to change the world, you begin with yourself. You have to be the change. And so I can't wait, for example, and, and again, this is this is off topic, but I can't wait for, exa- for example, a, a Klansman to to change and convert into, you know, somebody who sees me as equal. But I can change the way my relationship to them. I could release myself from the obsession of needing them to change. Therefore, I no longer suffer because when you say you need a thing, if you don't have that thing, that implies lack. And if you don't have it, you'll continue to be in an anxious state, upset state, hypervigilant state until that is produced, until that outcome is produced, which is why many of us, we would at one point in time, I felt that I needed people to change. I needed the clan to change. I needed people to stop hating me. I no longer need them to do anything because all that did was take away my peace. So understand what you are responsible for. It's not about establishing boundaries. I know out there right now you have a bunch of medical experts and you look, I mean, mental health experts and a lot of life coaches and people with big names and big dollars saying you got to establish boundaries. You got to learn how to say no. So for my people, and when I say my people, I mean my tribe, the people who really follow me, understand this is not about establishing boundaries because you cannot move a wall. It's going to be very difficult for you to move a wall. What it's about is acknowledging where your property lines are. So you acknowledge your boundaries. My property lines has never stopped somebody from allowing their dog to crap in my yard. Why? Because my property lines don't do anything but let me know which yard is mine. But how I govern my yard, that determines what happens in that space. So when it comes down, move from my people, move from this ambiguous act of establishing boundaries, which everyone says and very few people know how to do. Move from that and understand that you have you have property lines or you have boundaries that are already there. Acknowledge where your yard is, what you're responsible for, and then choose to courageously govern that space. And that's how you deal with it. And it's the same thing. If you if you take that code, if you take that 
that mode of that mode of action, that mm-hmm. that that plan of approach to life, then what you'll what you'll find is that you won't fall victim to a lot of these ploys, these fast food methods of trying to resolve a thing. Instead, you'll gain more access and more control to your life because now instead of relying on somebody else to manage your life or something else to manage your life, you are deciding to manage your own life. It's about personal accountability. We, we got to get the professional accountability, institutional accountability. Yes, but what can you do? What is it within your realm of control right now? And you can control how much you interact with these institutions, about how much knowledge you are intentionally going out there to seek, such as uh, purchasing my brother's book over here. You know, like we have control over certain things. When we say, I don't know, I don't know when we are literally in the information age, when people are tossing books. At, my brother said he, there's like 5,000 new books on Amazon a day. In the information age, there's no reason for any of us not to know unless we choose not to know. But ignorance and freedom can't coexist. Doc, what you got? Well, I think you're, I think you're, you're, you're encapsulating the most important philosophical point is your own agency, your own taking responsibility for everything around you, good or bad. And whether, whether it is your fault or not your fault, you better take responsibility for it because you're never going to accomplish anything without that mindset. So my hat's off to you, Harry. I think that's an excellent comment. Let me just go back for 10 seconds to the stomach bypass thing. You know, their fatality rate on that surgery is about one in 250, <laughs> which is really high. You know, it's really freaking high and probably over the it probably limits lifespan because of various problems it has. OK, in the long run, you know, an appendectomy is probably about one in a thousand. And that's 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 a pretty safe surgery. But this thing is very dangerous. And I, I think that should give pause. Anyone is thinking about that and, and doesn't think that you're going to have to figure out the behavioral uh, part of the thing anyway, or you're going to be blenderizing Snickers bars and pouring them through your graft. I mean, it's, it's crazy. So anyway, this is the thing, doc, that psychological pain. And this is, this is, this is important. And why I believe that everyone should be in a therapeutic relationship, if not with a licensed professional that knows something, some form of therapeutic relationship where you get access to your, where you can grow into your truth. And so many of us, especially with the the, the gastric bypass thing, you know, we don't realize that we are fighting against our own minds, you know, because the, the drive here is, okay, well, yeah, I hear that it could kill me, but I feel like I'm dying already. I know that it can kill me, but at the same time, I'm lonely and I've been experiencing excruciating lonely loneliness for, for some time. And so if I lose weight, I know I'll look more attractive and then my friends will comment and then eventually men will talk to me and then I won't be alone anymore. You see, people are much more afraid of experiencing psych- psychological pain such as loneliness or or they're facing their insecurities and their fears than they are killing themselves. And I want to be that blunt. That's that that's that's an issue. That's an issue. It takes repetition to change. And I think that if you want to make a change, you have to work on it every day. For example, if you want to lose this weight, you'd better just start listening to two hours of of these fasting podcasts and Atkins diet podcasts and all the other stuff around. And you're going to distinguish the truth after a while. And if you listen to that stuff for several months, you'll have it beat into your head of just what you should do. And you, you have to realize that if you fall back and you eat something, you eat a freaking chocolate eclair, that doesn't make you a bad person. You just better just get back on the horse the next day. So I, I, Harry, Harry, I like your philosophy and I like your, uh, your emphasis on, on, on agency, which is how I think. Doc, I'm going to give you the second to last word before I say goodbye to the people, but I wanted to, I wanted to add one thing and you, you just said something that, and I just lost it. What was the last thing you said, Doc? I got to bring it back. I like your emphasis on agency. No, no. No, and the point you were making snap, before that, yeah, and thank you for that again. The fatalities with the uh, uh, bypass surgery and the other fatalities with different kinds of surgery compared. I mean, skydiving is much safer than than it's. You could skydive hundreds of times, and you're, you're not gonna you're not gonna get up to one in three hundred, one hundred, two hundred and fifty mortality or death rate. So that's what I want to say real quick, because I don't want just two men on this stage and I don't want the ladies out there to think and, and more than likely it's, it's women that's a, that that support me and you. You're honestly in this in this space it's probably going to be more than likely women. But I want the women to understand that what we're not saying is about women, even though I may use the, 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 the pronoun she or her or whatever, you know, more frequently than I use a man. And that's typically because honestly, I don't, I don't really care too much about men. But but what I'll say is that that men are every bit as insecure as women are. 
you know, if not more. It's just that our insecurities manifest differently, just like in within among men, if it was only men in existence, our insecurities among each other would manifest differently. So human beings, human beings, take all the categories away, strip race, gender, uh, religious affiliation. The only thing that makes us different, really different is really geographical location, but we're all on the same planet, you know, so we're all, we're all the same. All, everything is just really these, these separations and categories is really just an illusion, another power grab to form different stratification layers. But anyway, that's another, that's another topic for another podcast because I can go off on that, you know, but doc, give, give the people second to last word. I'm not really going to say anything other than just close on out, but give the people your closing comments. The last thing I want to say is don't take anything I've said to say that you don't need medical care, that especially if you have something complicated, you can you can see doctors now. And if you're not happy, you can have a virtual consultation with the best doctors in the country and they'll, they'll see you virtually. Trump has an executive order. He had an executive order, which I think is still in effect, that you're you're allowed to see a doctor is allowed to see anyone through Skype or whatever. And they shouldn't get censured by their medical boards. The medical boards prior to that had said you're not allowed to do that without a good faith examination. Right. Well, now after COVID happened, we're allowed to see people virtually. And I think it's been a great step forward, although there are problems with it. You know, there are an experienced doctor can sometimes tell things with a glance in person that he can't tell over Skype, but or she can't tell over Skype to be PC about it, right? But anyway, don't think that I don't believe in medicine because it's it's near miraculous, some of it, but it's 50% of it's just for the money now. And that's that's a standard figure and and that's a research figure. Half of it is a mess in America. Mm-hmm. And and to that I think it's appropriate to say is that so? <laughs> Doc, I just want to say I'm, I'm going to have to get your links from you so I can post this whenever I post this up there, but whenever I finally publish this. But I want to say it's a pleasure to have had you on the show. I'm so grateful that you answered the invite to be the premier guest of season two of the Is That So show. And I definitely want to stay in contact with you. And so if there's more, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure we're all paths. I mean, we're rebels. You know, I'm pretty sure I'll meet you at the uh, the rebel conference uh, this year or something like that or next year, you know, whenever COVID calms down. But I just appreciate you, sir. Thanks so much, Harry. All right. All right. Yo, y'all heard it. Dr. Robert Yoho, you know, to open up this this premiere episode of season two of the Is That So show. And for those of y'all who have been supporting me, who have been waiting for season two to come out, you're welcome. It's it's it, it, you know, I'm so happy to have him on the premiere episode. So look, we're gonna keep it authentic. Again, my personal mission statement is to assist others in developing the audacity to live unapologetically authentic. So we're gonna keep it real, we're gonna keep it true, we're gonna keep putting that information out there, and we're gonna keep on entertaining the people and feeding the people what they need to be fed. So this is Nocturnal Therapist messing around with this camera. I'm going to see y'all next time. Yo, y'all stay lit, stay living in y'all truth, and I will talk to y'all later. Deuces. Do you tell your time what to do, or does your time tell you what to do? Are you living, or are you merely existing? Are you constantly reacting, or are you responding to life? Mixed beliefs create confusion, and confusion creates a life of stagnation. Desire change? Visit www dot become an outlier dot com slash about that is www dot b e c o m e a n o u t l i e r become an outlier dot com slash about a b o u t to start your journey stay tuned for more episodes and keep listening to the nocturnal therapist himself harry turner